It is, um, well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens, one of the pastors here at Soul City Church, and it is awesome, dads, to have you with us here on Father's Day today. Uh, let me just tell you, as pastor of the church, but also as a father myself, uh, we are so grateful for the role that you play in your family. You are critical, and God has you in the family. He has you in for a reason, and uh, we are so grateful for the role you play there and the role you play in our church, and so just hear from us. When we say we're grateful, we are truly, truly grateful for the role that you play, and we want to encourage you and spur you on and come around you and beside you, Dad, to help you do whatever is necessary to continue to raise your kids up in a way that would honor God and that would be a gift to the world. So thank you, thank you. We thank the dads for all that they do. Thank you very much. We have, um, we have been looking over the last couple of weeks how we live our life in the flow with our Father God how it is that we connect our hearts to our Father God and how, uh, despite sort of maybe what our relationships are like or were like with our dad or whatever that may be like, there is a relationship that we can have with our Father God that is not just meant for one-day-a-week connections with him. That's meant for so much more than just kind of catching up at the end of the day or before a meal. We believe, and Scripture teaches, that we've been created for a relationship with God that happens in the flow of our life. So that at any point, at all times, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, we can be connected to God. That we don't have to sort of wait or have any sort of anything else in between us and God. We can live in the flow with God. And so the first week of this series, we talked about spiritual pathways and how God has uniquely created you to uniquely connect with him. We all have different ways that we uniquely connect with God. That's how he's created you to do it, to to be in that kind of flow with him. Last week, we looked at uh, songs that we sing to God, what worship and praise do. This is a very unique thing that we just did a couple minutes ago, where you get into a room with a couple hundred strangers and sing songs. It doesn't happen a lot in our life. So what's the significance of that? Last week we looked at how praise improves our perspective. And we had some homework last week. I'm not sure if you did or not, but we committed to listening to, as long as we could, as much as we could, only music that points our heart and our attention towards God. And it's a wonderful exercise, and it was like a discipline and a reminder for me all week when I hop in the car or whatever, I want to flip on NPR or whatever, just kind of to go, no, wait a second, I actually want to listen to music and, and, and sing music that actually improves my perspective to God. And so uh, we come to this week now, uh, continuing our series in the flow, and what, what we're looking at is uh, how it is that we have a connection with God and a relationship with God despite things that might get in our way. Now... We, it would be one thing if our relationship with God and living in the flow with him was all about us just trying harder. If I were able to somehow conjure up three magical steps to say, just do these three things and you will be connected to God and everything will be great and it will be 75 degrees outside and it won't be humid in June. And like, if you just do these three things, everything will work out in your relationship with God. It would be great if all we had to do was try harder. But I bet every one of us could tell a story of how we've tried harder and it just didn't work. We just ended up more exhausted than more connected to God. Because it's not just about sort of trying harder in our relationship with God. There are very real sort of forces at work against you living in the flow of a relationship with God. In fact, what we're going to look at from God's Word this morning is one thing that is in your life that is strictly there to keep you from living in the flow with God. It is a flow, the number one flow killer that we're going to look at this morning. But then we're going to look at two things from God's Word you and I can do to overcome that one thing and to live life as God intended us to live. There is a very real force in this world that is very much against God, hates God, and in fact actually hates 
you because you like God, love God, or in a relationship with God. And there is a very real force in our world that has been a part of our story from the very beginning, and that force is sin. And every one of us in every one of our lives in different capacities face sin on a daily basis. Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, oh, we're in church and we're talking about sin. How original. What a great concept. Little cliche, don't you think? Oh, and on Father's Day too? Fantastic. So glad you came, Dad. Right? I understand like that maybe, and this can stir up maybe feelings of fear or guilt. Listen, what we're talking about from God's word today is about freedom and life as God intended us to live. And if we're going to have that kind of life in the flow with God, we have to look at this one thing that is consistently and constantly in the way of that happening, threatening our relationship with God and our life in this world. And that is sin. And it's very, very real. And it's something that every one of us faces every single day of our life. And so we're going to look very honestly this morning at our sin and how it keeps us from being in the flow with God. A couple weeks ago, I was picking our son Elijah up from a play date at his best friend's house. And so we were walking out of their house and going out to the front. He goes, Dad, you want to come see this tree? And I'm like, yeah, let's go look at a tree. He's six, and so we do things like that, you know? Like, Dad, look at that mailbox. Dad, this is, that's a mailbox. And so, you know, we, we're going to look at a tree, and, 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 and I'm in the front yard, and they have this beautifully landscaped yard, right? It's just gorgeous, perfectly landscaped yard. And there's this fairly, like in the center, but this fairly tall tree. And I'm like, Thanks, pal. That's a really great tree. I acknowledge that that's a tree. You know, and, I, and so the mom was kind of standing behind me. She goes, oh, did he tell you that was a tree? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, you don't know, you need to know the story about that tree. I go, okay, what's the story of this tree? She says, well, two years ago, when we were kind of getting our yard all laid out like this, I told my husband to go out and just ask him if he'd pull the weeds. And so he, he kind of did, and he came back in, and the next day I went out and said, no, you know, she told him, like, you, you missed that one, that big one right there. He's like, no, I don't think that's a weed. I'm pretty sure that's a that's a tree. She's like, no, I'm pretty sure that's a weed. And before long, they kind of argued about it. They forgot about it. They didn't talk about it. They didn't do anything about it. This weed grew significantly and substantially. So much so that their three kids in their family grew very attached to it. So that when I'm there two years later, just three weeks ago, in their front yard admiring it, it is a weed that is over six feet tall that has grown in their front yard. It is strong and sturdy. You could hang a rope swing from this weed. It is a substantial weed that's grown up, and I just kind of laughed. I'm like, so in the middle of this beautifully landscaped yard, you have a six-foot-tall weed. She's like, yeah, kind of cool, huh? I'm like, actually, it kind of is. That's going in the sermon. And so <laughs> as we talk about sin in our lives and how it is that it plays a role in our life and in our life, it's very much like that weed. We don't maybe necessarily pay attention to how it got there. Maybe there was something we could have done a while ago, but we didn't do it. And what happens over time is we grow attached to whatever it is. And we begin to go, I can't imagine my life without that. Or I know it's, not, it's probably not the best thing to have a six-foot-tall weed in the middle of my front yard, but it seems to not really bother anyone else, and it's not that big of a deal. And so when it comes to our sin, we tend to respond or react to it by maybe uh, rationalizing it. Oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, listen, I know it's this thing that I do that I know I shouldn't be doing is, is bad, but it's not, and here's the words of a rationalizer, it's not as bad as their thing. Or, I know this guy at work, and he does this. So, yes, it's not the best thing. So we rationalize our sin, right? So we can spend a lot of energy kind of going, yeah, 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 it's it's not as bad as them. Or you can spend a lot of time trying to manage it. 
okay, so I've got to kind of keep the lid on this one over here and make sure that this doesn't get out of hand and I can only have so much of this and I probably shouldn't do as much of that this night or this year or whatever it is. And so we kind of spend our, exhaust our energies managing our sin and trying to keep a lid on things and keep a good sort of, you know, composure in front of everyone else. We can exhaust a tremendous amount of our energy and our attention and even our affection managing or rationalizing our sin. We have a lot of different responses to our sin, but we're going to look at two responses that God has given us from his word that are summed up in one verse, and then we're going to reflect on that a little bit and kind of wrap it all up with a beautiful passage of scripture from the book of Psalms. But let's look at the responses. Instead of rationalizing or managing our sin, what is the right response that God would give us so that we can actually live in the flow with him in light of, in lieu of the sin that surrounds every one of our lives, okay? So let's open up the Bible together. We're gonna, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab the blue Bible, which is right in front of you, or maybe around you if you can. We just had to add a couple rows there, so maybe if you need one, just let us know. We'll get you a Bible. And we say this every week. If you don't own a Bible but want to grow in a relationship with God, understand at least who he is, please take this Bible home with you today, okay? So it's your Bible. You get to keep it. We're going to open to Proverbs 28. It's on page 609 in the blue Bible. Proverbs 28. We're going to look at the two things that you and I can do in light of the one thing that is there to kill our flow in our relationship with God. What should our response be to our sin? Proverbs 28 verse 13 starts out by saying this. I think we would all agree. Those who conceal their sins do not prosper. Now, the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. A lot of little bite-sized nuggets of wisdom. Wonderful book. If you're just new to the Bible, great book to start in the book of Proverbs. So this is one of those sort of principles of wisdom. Those who attempt to manage, those who attempt to rationalize, those who attempt to kind of conceal and sort of push under the rug, sort of like just make sure no one opens that door in my house, those who do that don't prosper. And the word prosper is used again and again and again in the book of Proverbs. It doesn't mean like they don't get rich. It doesn't just mean that. It means they don't live life to the fullest. They're not growing. They're not living the life that God intended them to live. For our conversation, they're not living in the flow. How can you possibly live in a flow of a relationship with God when you're exhausting all your energy and attention and affection to concealing and managing your sin? How is that even possible? Proverbs says, look, you cannot grow or have a full life when you're busy concealing your sin. And we all know what it's like to conceal our sin. We all know what it's like. We learned it as kids. Our kids, my kids, Jeannie and I, we have two kids and they take after their father wonderfully when it comes to concealing their sin. And they're awful at it, just like me. The other day, we were trying to get out of the house and, and, and go somewhere. And we, came, we sent them downstairs to get their shoes. And we came down, and there was a room of glitter and ribbons and cotton balls. And I, this didn't look anything like shoes. And, you know, I kind of, like, said, like, who got the craft supplies out? Why are they down here? Like, what? And you can see both the kids going, I, I don't, I don't, and there's glitter, glitter on their hands. Gigi has it like on her mouth. Like, I don't, I don't. It, we learn as kids. Like we try real quick. I don't, he did it. She did it. I, we try as best we can to conceal. We've all had the cookie crumbs around our mouth when our parents said who got into the cookie jar. We know what it's like to exhaust energy, to kind of come up with something in the moment to conceal our sin. It's not a life of prospering, is it? It's a life of sin management. It's a life of concealing. Proverbs say, look, those who try and conceal their sins don't prosper. There's another response, a better response, two, in fact, responses in light of the sin that surrounds and invades our life. Verse 28, or chapter 28, verse 13 goes on to say this. Those who confess 
and renounce, or the word that we're going to use for our conversation this morning is repent. Those who confess and repent find what? Mercy. Let's say that again. Those who confess and renounce them find mercy. And mercy is sort of what we don't even deserve. It's God's love lavished on us despite what we've done. Those who confess and repent their sin actually find mercy. The thing we're afraid to do is to admit and go, uh, it was me. I did it. It was me. We're afraid when we do that that God's going to reject us, that others will reject us, that we'll be kicked out, that there will be consequences that we cannot bear or cannot stand. That fear keeps us at a distance, and so it keeps us concealing our sin, trying to manage our sin, trying to rationalize our sin. The proverb says, no, those who come to God and confess and repent their sin actually find mercy and love and acceptance and ultimately forgiveness. Confess and repent. Both kind of Bible-y, church-y words. What do, they, what do they really mean to confess? To confess simply means that I am going to turn to God with my sin. That I'm over here, I'm busy concealing my sin, I'm trying to sort of make everything look presentable and approachable. Maybe you even feel like when you come to church you have to do that, you're going to have to make yourself look presentable or people confessing and saying, no, I'm going to turn to God with my sin. Just say, okay, here it is, here it is, God, this is true of me. I could try and hide it from you, but I know I can't. And so God, I want to confess, I want to make known, I want to come clean and declare, this is true of me, God. As ugly, as broken as it is, this is true. I, I just did this, or I've done this for years, and I need to confess this to you. At the first sign of conviction, at that first moment, say, God, I want to make this known. I want to turn to you. It is a powerful privilege that anyone who's in a relationship with God has been given. That at the moment of sin, or at any moment thereafter, we can turn to God with our sin. We can actually come into God's presence with our sin and brokenness and bring it to him to find mercy. See, the old way, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the old way in the Old Testament, you have your finger in the book of Proverbs. At any point when these verses were written, at any point in the Old Testament, the old way before Jesus was that when I sinned, I had to go to a specific place to bring my confession. And then I had to kind of get away to get to that place. And when I get to that place, I had to go to a very specific person so that they could make my confession on my behalf. But that's not all. I had to go to a specific place and go to a specific person at a specific time, at the appropriate time to bring my confession so that the the sacrifice could be made and it would make its way to God. There was a reason for that. and There was a time and a place for that because it prepared us for the new way, which is Jesus. But in those days... I would have to go to a place to go to a person at a very specific time to finally confess. I may have sinned on Tuesday. I have to wait till Saturday to confess. And then I got to go through all these steps. I mean, maybe you grew up in a faith tradition similar to that, where you had to go to someone to confess and you had to kind of do it on their behalf. And then they told you some things to do and you kind of left going, so that's it? We're good? Okay, we're good. See you next week. I mean, That's the old way, and it's good, and it serves a purpose, and it's great, but but there's a new way and a more full way made available to us through Jesus Christ. In the new way, I come to God immediately. I, I come directly to God with my sin. 
I turn to God with my sin and say, this is true of me. This is what I've done. This is what I'm doing. This is what it looks like. I don't have to wait. You know, early on when Jean and I were first engaged and about to be married, we had wonderful premarital counselors, uh, Dick and Sybil Towner. They are legacy folks in our life. Haven't missed an anniversary. We're celebrating um, 16 years of marriage this summer, and they have yet to miss an anniversary of celebrating us on our anniversary. Isn't that amazing? So they early on said to us, you know, here's just a good principle from God's word that you can apply to your marriage. Don't ever let the sun go down on a fight or an argument between you and Jeannie. Don't ever let the day end while there's still tension or unresolved, unconfessed things between the two of you. It's a pretty basic principle. And thankfully, we've never had a fight or an argument, so we've never had to do that. But if we had, I think it might work. And so that's not true at all. We have, as best we can, put that principle to work in our lives. And I can honestly count up, maybe on one hand, the, the nights that we went to bed and we just did not choose to fight like to, to, to the finish, if that, if that makes sense, to, to complete whatever it was that was dividing us, to confess whatever part we had to own. And there's only a few nights where it dragged over into the next day. And it meant many times we'd have to stay up, you know, way later until one in the morning and working it out, because that's a principle we believe that God honors. There was, there, there, ha, there were a few times, and one of them was very early in our marriage. And it was one of those moments, I, I can't, I've thought about it, I've played the tape back so many times in my head, and I cannot make any sense of it. Jeannie had, at this point, recently broken her ankle, and so she was laid up in a cast and crutches, and because of that, she couldn't get up our stairs to where our bedroom was, so we had to stay in the guest bedroom for a couple weeks downstairs. And so everything was kind of turned off. I'd turn the lights off. She was already laying in bed, and I was heading to bed, and I thought, I, get, I don't, thought is, is maybe too big of a word. I, I had an impulse <laughs> that, what if I, what if I got into bed by jumping over her onto my side, like a cool, like, move, and again, I don't know, I don't know what would have happened if I would have nailed it, but I didn't. And so what happens was, not only did I, in my move, clip her ankle, but even if I'd missed it, when I landed, it caused her to bounce up in the bed, you know, because it was our cheap guest bed, so it was like, she kind of bounced, and the look I got in that moment, I literally, I sent myself to the couch, I'm like, I'm good, I, this was my bad, I'm just going to take this pillow and blanket, I'll be out here if you need me. There was only a few nights, and that was definitely one of them. That idea of being able to say, I'm not going to let the date end on this thing that is separating me from God. What if you were to put that principle to practice in your work and your relationship with God? I'm not going to let it drag another day. I've been exhausting all my energy concealing this sin. What if I mustered enough strength to just turn to God with my sin and say, God, this is just... I know you know this, but I need to say it. This is true of me. This is what I've done. God, I I need to come to you because my fear is that you're going to reject me or that I just have to manage this all on my own. But I'm not going to conceal it. I'm going to turn to you before the day and to not wait another minute to come clean with God. You know, a friend of mine says it so brilliantly. My friend John down in Atlanta says it this way. He says that the real measure... A spiritual growth is not merely in sinning less, but in lessening the gap between my sin and my confession. If you want to see someone who's growing, it's not just that they're sinning 
less. It's that the gap between my sin and my confession is getting smaller and smaller, meaning that I recognize quickly, that was a sin. I just sinned. And when I talked about that person behind their back, I know, God, please forgive me for that. I want to turn to you and bring it to you. That gap gets shorter and shorter. The more and more I grow and live in the flow of a relationship with God. Confession is simply turning to God with my sin. Repentance, however, is the second step. Confession is the first. Repentance is actually turning away from my sin with God. Now listen, if confession is turning with my sin to God, repentance is the all-important next step. Remember, there's two things that you and I have been invited by God to do and actually have the power because of Jesus Christ to do when we face this one thing of sin in our life. The first is to turn from, like turn to God with my sin, and then the second is to turn from my sin with God. That's very important. Not on my own strength, not all by myself. We've all tried that strategy. I'm going to quit. This is going to be the week. This is going to be the week. I'm not going to call him. I'm not going to call her. I'm not going to do that again. We've all tried that in our own strength. It doesn't work, does it? So repentance is I'm going to turn away from this sin, this pattern, this addiction, this relationship, this thing that continues to lead me down that path. I am going to turn from that with God into a new way of following him. Confession is saying to God, this is what I've done. Repentance is saying, this is what I'm going to do. It's very important. Confession is, God, this is what I've done. Repentance is, God, this is what I'm going to do to do. So let's take a couple examples. Uh, maybe one for you, uh, there's a particular you know, relationship that you have that's just unhealthy. Now, so this could mean anything, right? It could be a dating relationship that you kind of know is a destructive relationship. It is not leading you any closer to God, and yet you keep going out with that person. Or it could be a circle of friends that maybe they're not doing anything necessarily super bad or wrong or anything, but they're not necessarily lifting you any closer to God. In fact, when you're with them, you find yourself doing things that you wouldn't normally do or that you'd even say that you want to do publicly. And so confession is, God, I admit, I confess, I come clean and say, this is what I've done. Repentance is, God, I am now going to make it clear that I am not, I'm going to limit my exposure to that person. In fact, I'm going to call the relationship off. That's what repentance looks like. Repentance is, God, I... That circle of friends continues to take me down that path. And every time I go down that path, I actually come up with more things I need to confess to you. God, my repentance, what I'm saying that I'm going to do is I'm actually going to limit my exposure to them. I'm going to find a new circle of friends. It's going to be hard. It's going to be lonely for a little while. But if I'm ever going to live in the flow with God, I have to take the responsibility of repentance. It's very, very, very important in my spiritual growth. Maybe for you, it's, talking about someone else, gossip, you know, that classic one. And it looks, takes all kinds of different shapes and forms, but maybe for you it's going, God, I confess, I spoke so negatively about that person, or I spoke so negatively about my spouse to my friends when they weren't around, or God, I just, I genuinely wish harm on that person. I am so jealous of what their life seems to be like to me on the surface, that God, I, when I think of them, I don't want anything good for their life. Confession is, God, that's true. And I say it with specifics, not vague third-person generalities. God, I'm struggling with jealousy. No, say it, like very specifically. God, it's Kevin, and he bothers me, and like this is what I've done. So I'm confessing, I'm coming clean. Repentance is, anytime that person's name comes up, I'm either going to stay silent or I'm going to speak blessing over their life and celebrate them. 
I will discipline myself towards that repentance. That's what repentance is. This is confession. This is what I've done. Repentance. This is what I'm going to do. Does that make sense? So now take any addiction that is a part of your life right now, and every one of us has them in one shape, form, or another. It could be substance. It could be a relationship. It could be food. It could be work. But you continue, and the more and more you sort of go after and pursue that thing and make a god of that thing, the more and more you find yourself hitting the wall, and it never really satisfies, does it? So confession is, God, I confess, I have made this more important than you. I thought this would actually lead me to life. And it hasn't. Nothing leads me to life like you. I confess. I've put my affection, devotion, attention into that. So this is my repentance. This is what I'm now going to do. I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to cancel the internet in my house. I'm going to. I'm going to uh, bring some accountability into my life. A circle around me. They can ask me tough questions. I am going to go home at 4.30 every day because if I don't, I will stay here and try and find my worth and meaning in this work, missing the life actually that God has all around me. Whatever it may be, do you see that this is what I've done, this is what I'm going to do. That's how we begin to live a life in the flow with God. This is why Jesus so often, when he invited people to follow him, it was a two-step process. The first was repent, the second was follow me. Repent, turn from that way, turn from that old life and turn to me, follow me. Turn from that old way of gossip, turn from that old way of that addiction, turn from that old way of being stuck in that pattern, turn from that into a new way of following me. Repentance is our responsibility and part of the process of our transformation. Both of them are critical. Because if you have confession without repentance, then you can feel genuinely sorry, but confession without repentance oftentimes can lack any real change or transformation. And so what ends up happening is you come to church, you feel really guilty, you feel really bad, so you say you're really sorry. But without that next step of repentance, guess what happens next week? Boy, I did it again. God, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. I I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And God genuinely meets you and forgives you in that place. If you're in a relationship with him, his mercy is made new to you. Without that next step of repentance, it lacks any real change or transformation. And so often what I've found in my life is the reason I keep kind of hitting the walls, I keep kind of going, man, why am I back here again? Why am I back here? Oh, it's because I haven't fully let go of that thing yet. I haven't turned away from my sin with God and followed him. You see, confession without repentance lacks real change or transformation. But also, repentance without any confession, any true confession, can lack a real sense of brokenness or dependence on God. Listen, if there's repentance without confession, so if there's a, I'm not going to do that thing anymore, I'm going to will myself into living this kind of life, if I jump to that step without confession, then I become a very rigid religious person who's only about doing things the right way and doesn't experience or at least express any sense of brokenness or dependence on God. You ever met anyone like that? They're so much fun to be around. (laughs) Because you just feel like the worst person on earth next to them. Like, man, do you ever sin? I sinned five times walking from the door to saying hello to you. Like, do you ever sin? And so that kind of, you know, any sort of like repentance and making change without real genuine brokenness displays a lack of dependence on God's mercy and puts the dependence on my ability to work my own transformation. Do you see how the two are connected? 
how critical they are. We can exhaust our energy trying to conceal and manage our sin, rationalize, justify our sin. Or we can turn to God with our sin and say, God, I, I need you. And God, this is what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to turn away from that pattern, broken, but on a new path. I saw this so clearly, a friend of mine, oh, so painfully, but so clearly. About four years ago, uh, this guy I'd known for years, his life just hit the wall. I mean, catastrophically. And there had been patterns of sin in his life that had gone unconfessed and unrepented, so much so to the point that it literally started falling apart all around him. And so instead of confessing, he was confronted with his sin. And his wife had found some things out about some stuff in his life and relationships that he had outside of their marriage that were incredibly, incredibly painful and hurtful. As that's happening, their marriage is imploding at such a huge rate that he was literally in the interview process for a whole new sort of next level career. I mean, it's what he dreamed, literally dreamed about his whole life they kind of caught wind of what was going on in his life and said, it seems like this isn't a good time and completely shut the door to him. So in the matter of about three months, his entire life had exploded and he was living on the couch of a guy he barely even knew. And as he and I met, and he kind of invited me into that mess. It was a stark reminder to me of my amazing ability to sort of rationalize and conceal my sin instead of just confessing it. Because I'd ask him, okay, tell me, Tell me what happened. Tell me, tell me what, what happened. And he'd kind of go through the story, and I'd, you know, he'd tell me what happened, and I'd ask him. He was very sort of frustrated and angry at me and angry at God and angry at everyone in the process. And I'd say, okay, well, I'd ask him questions. Well, what about this? Did you do this? Yeah, I guess I did that too. Okay, well, how far does that go back? Sounds like you said it just goes back this far, but did it go back? Any f- yeah, I guess it's been a couple years. And it just seemed like the layers kept coming off, and I'm going, I don't, I don't know if there's going to be a way out. I mean, God, I don't know how this is going to go. And, and, and so eventually, after months of fighting and fighting and fighting, I watched as God just broke him, and he embraced his brokenness and began to name it all. I mean, all. And poured out, I mean, you, the courage that it took for him to literally turn to God with that level of sin and say, this God, is what I've done, what I'm doing, and to bring that to the table, and then to watch the hard, courageous work that he's done to repent. To watch a marriage that I was literally going, I don't think there's a way out here. I don't, I don't, I don't think this marriage can be saved. I mean, only, only God is like the sliver of hope that I have for this marriage, and to watch him work and repent and turn from old ways and turn from old patterns, not out of guilt, but out of actual freedom and life that he was experiencing God. To literally say that I have to literally end this relationship. I have to stop going to this place. I need to put these parameters in my life. That's a part of the responsibility of repentance for me to truly live, if there's ever going to be hope of living in the flow of God, and to watch the courage and the level to which this friend of mine I did not see a way out to watch him do that over the last three years and to be witness to that and to see what God has done to restore 
their marriage. They have a fundamentally new marriage that God has rebuilt. And to see his perspective on life. And that really it's not about career dreams and advancement, as important as those things are. And it's not really about attaining a certain level of success that he was going for. And it's not about maintaining control like he thought he had. It's about being faithful to God, being faithful to his wife. And for me to see that, to see that level of repentance and confession go, God, certainly I, certainly I can confess my sin to you. Certainly I, God, can bring this from the darkness into the light and trust that just as I've seen happen, I'll find mercy there, I'll find forgiveness there, I'll find freedom there. I'll begin to live in the flow with you. And God, as I do, certainly I can say, no more. I'm going to turn from that pattern. I'm going to turn from that relationship. I'm going to turn whatever your thing is. I'm going to turn from whatever that is into this new way with you. That's when we begin to live in the flow. Can you, can, you, like, can you imagine how it would feel in here on Sunday if we came in knowing that this place wasn't set up to be like a, a museum of saints, but like a hospital of sinners who just said like, yeah, I got, boy, yep, I like, I, there's a lot I have to confess and I, I, there's a, I'm, I'm working hard to repent. My small group's helping me end that pattern, that addiction, that relationship. And we're, what, can you imagine how much more free it would feel in here if you walked in knowing, oh, okay, I'm in the company of people who regularly confess to God and are in the process of repenting their sin. It's safe here. I can come to God and come to this place as I am and find new life and a new way in Him. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Imagine how different that would feel, what kind of church that would feel like. That's the invitation that God has given every one of us, to live that kind of life. The old way says you've got to go to a certain place at a certain time. You've got to go to a specific person. The new way is you come to Jesus. You come right now. You come to him, confess your sin, and invite him into the work of repentance in your life. Not out of guilt, not out of shame, out of freedom, out of forgiveness, out of life. So what we'd love to do, I want to invite the, the band to come up, and we're going to spend a few minutes doing that, just really living in that reality that's possible. We can actually live in the flow of relationship with God. This one thing that is here to kill your connection to God, that sin plays in our life, God has given us a response of confession and repentance, and we certainly don't want to miss that opportunity to do that this week. In fact, the homework for this week is very simple. At any moment when you feel yourself going to that place of going, ah, here I go again, or man, there it is again, is to, as quickly as possible, confess to God, God, I want to name what it is specifically. I want to name what it is. And God, help me by your grace and your strength to turn from it. And what we're going to do right now is actually use as a guide to our prayer and our response to God and our homework for this week to be quick to confess and thorough in our repentance is we're actually going to look at a hero from the Bible. And we're going to look at his confession and repentance to God. And one of the things I love about the Bible is all the people you thought were like so perfect and you know, there's a reason they're in the Bible because they're so awesome. They're just as sinful and broken in the need of God as you and I are. And so this is a confession of King David after he had not only committed adultery, but had murdered the woman he committed adultery with, murdered her husband. So we have adultery and murder on the books. And this is how he comes to God and turns to God with that sin and turns from that sin with God. We're going to read these words, and maybe you can close your eyes, or you can watch them on the screen, or imagine anything in your life right now, you go, you know what, I just need to come clean. I need to turn to God with that. And we're going to create some space after I pray here for you just to do that quietly, 
and to make a commitment, God, this week, this is, this is part of my repentance. This is me turning from that to you. So let me read these words to you, and then we're going to spend some time just surrendering to God and opening our hearts to God. David writes this in Psalm 51. Have mercy. There's that word again, mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. I continue to fail. I continue to sin. But God, your love is unfailing. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Now look at this ownership. For I recognize, I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. And you're proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. So purify me from my sins. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh God, give me back my joy again. It's one of the first things that sin steals in our life is joy. Robs us of joy. Commits us to concealing. Give me back my joy again. God, you've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. You don't desire a sacrifice. Remember, that's the going to a place, a person, a You don't desire a sacrifice, or I'd offer one. You don't want a burnt offering, that old way. The sacrifice that you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So God, we believe those words to be true. We come to you now. All the things, God, that we've tried to manage and we've tried to conceal and we've tried to rationalize, we say, you know, enough's enough. We just, we believe, God, that there is mercy that comes from you, that there's freedom that comes from you, there's forgiveness that comes from you because your love is unfailing. And we don't want to miss any of it, so we want to bring all of it to you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that we can even come into the Father's presence right now. Because you, our great high priest, have paid the price for us on our behalf. So that we can come and say, here's what I've done. And by your grace and by your power and by your strength, say, here's what I'm going to do. Here is how I'm going to play a part in my transformation. Here's what I'm going to say no to. Here's what I'm going to put some parameters around. Here's what I'm going to put some distance between. Here is what I'm going to do so that I can live more in the flow with you and less and less stuck in my sin. God, I know that this is possible. I've seen it in my own life. God, I experience it. I thank you, God, for how you've done that with me and in me this week. God, I pray that that would be true of our church, even right now, that we would take this space right now and come clean with you and turn our hearts back to you and turn our hearts away from the things that occupied our lives and our minds and our thoughts and took us away from you. God, we come back to you and we surrender all of who we are to all of who you are. Thank you, God, that you find us in that place. Love us as we are and help us, God, by your grace, become who you intended us to be. We pray this all in your name. Amen.